any one of you who does not renounce all that he has or all that she has, ladies, not let off the hook, cannot be my disciple. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus doesn't make it easy, does he? In fact, he makes it impossible apart from the work of the Spirit, which is what it truly is. Discipleship requires Jesus to have first place. We sing it. One of the songs we sing, the first place, every inch of the universe belongs to you, O Christ. The Scripture, the cattle on a thousand hill, every soul is mine. We are all His. Everything is His. He is Lord. He is King. He is Ruler. And to renounce everything is to release all earthly attachments that have first place, that are in His place. Because we tend to take good things and make them God things, don't we? We tend to try to find our happiness, our joy, our peace in something other than God. And all things, created things are not evil, but they can be evil as we elevate them higher than they should be. So to renounce all that we have is to put everything at His disposal, to put it in His proper place. To be devoted to and in subjection to Jesus. To be for Him. To be for His people. To be for His kingdom. For His mission. In Luke chapter 12. Andrew doesn't have this one, sorry. Luke chapter 12. 32 to 34 says this. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Now look at what it says. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Impossible for us. But the gospel makes it our joy to store our treasure in heaven. And when we look at the text we're looking at this morning in Acts 4, we simply see these people, Jesus' people obeying Him. Having Him in the first place and everything else at His disposal devoted to Him and His mission and His people. Christ being number one. We see the early church storing up treasure in heaven. Investing in the life to come. Not primarily in this present life. Doesn't mean they wasn't responsible and took care of their business. They did. But what we're going to see primarily is the church obeying Jesus. And having a community mindset. Because Jesus had a community mindset. Because America is a dangerous place for a Christian. It produces an individual mindset. It produces a me first mindset. A pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'll get mine and you get yours. Mindset. American dream will take you captive. It will lie to you. And you'll get there and it won't satisfy you. And you'll wonder what's wrong. 
We see the church with the right priorities. Serving and loving Jesus, taking care of one another, and God using them to take the gospel around the world. So just simply as we look at this text this morning, the gospel produces a community mindset. In Jesus, community life means possessions take a back seat to both mission and mutual care. Possessions take a back seat, certainly to Jesus, but to both missions and mutual care. But look first, this one, when I, when I, and I've read this before, but studying it afresh and looking at it afresh and certain words popping out, it just captivated my mind. It examined me. It convicted me. Yes, I want it to convict you. I don't want to be the only one walking around convicted. But may God do His work. But I was amazed by this. Look in verse 32, the, com- the community mindset and possessions. Because we get this flipped a lot of times. Look at, look at this. And it doesn't let anybody off the hook. Watch it. All of the disciples. It says in verse 32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one, notice full number, one heart and soul, no one said, coming from thought, no one thought, therefore no one said, that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. The full number, that's everybody. That's amazing to me. Everybody was thinking this way. Every believer, those who believed. What does that mean? Everyone who believed means everybody trusting in Jesus. Not just mental assent. Y'all know we define faith all the time as you have to know the facts of the gospel. You have to assent to those facts or believe they're true. So far you're not a Christian though. The devil believes in God. He knows he's God. The devil knows who Jesus is. The third essential element of of believing biblically is trust. Entrusting our soul, our life, our all to Christ. Trusting Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation is what it means to believe. And this says that everybody who believed had received a new heart. And this new heart, by God's grace, loved Jesus and loved His teachings and was obedient to Him and had possessions in the right place. They were one heart and soul, one mind. What was that? The mind of Christ, right? The Word of God was shaping the way that they thought and acted. Jesus' teaching was shaping the way that they thought and acted. So that it says, everyone who believed thought this way. There was a harmony of thought and love amongst the believers. That the primary love, now they weren't perfect, we know that, you read that. But the primary love was Jesus. Out from Jesus, my community of brothers and sisters. My neighbor who needs to know Jesus. I'm way off down on the tail of the list. It's not a me first thinking. They had the same goals. They're one heart and soul. They have the same goals. They have the same purpose. They have the same identity. 
Christians, followers of Jesus, those who trust in Jesus. A Christian is a disciple. Same thing. One who loves and trusts and follows Jesus. To follow Him is to obey Him. And it's impossible if stuff has you. And Christian stuff can have you. Think of it. Every one of Jesus' teachings, every one of Jesus taught, everything He taught, every one of His commands is meant to set you free. Not to bind you, but to set you free. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Sin so easily entangles and binds us. Stuff entangles and binds us. I heard a man talking about one time bought a, uh, a swing set for his children. And he, he got to read in the owner's manual. He said, but I don't oil this thing every other month and tighten all the boats. It'll eat my children. So he's talking about how the swing set meant to be a good gift took him captive. Required a lot of time. I'm not saying don't buy your kids swing sets. I'm just saying stuff can take you captive. And the more stuff you have, the more captive you can be. You can start to find your security in your stuff. You can start to be less than secure when the bank account's getting a little tight. And very secure when it's not a little tight. And that's it taking you captive. They had the same goals, the same purpose, the same identity. Jesus, community unity, mission. Listen to me, the gospel does not create or support an individualistic mindset. Family. Those who believe in Jesus are family. A family that loves Jesus and a family that takes care of one another. And it comes from Him. See, Jesus was not me first, then you. Think about it. Think about how He set the example. He said He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He was us first. And caused us to be others first. Primarily God first and then the others around us. He took joy in sacrificing Himself for our good. Why did Jesus have to come? Well, just a very simple sentence because we needed saving and we couldn't save ourselves. Why? Because of sin. We have disobeyed His commandments in thought, word, and deed from cradle to grave. All our righteousness is filthy rags. We don't love God when we're born into this world. We love ourselves. And we want everything to shape to make us happy. The wages of sin is death. And that's not just physical death. It's eternal death. Separation from God. Judgment. Condemnation. Hell. That's what we deserve. But that's why Jesus came. He came to live for us and perfectly fulfill His own law in thought, word, and deed to provide us with the perfect righteousness. He came to die and sacrifice Himself to satisfy justice. And He not only took the physical suffering on the cross, but the spiritual wrath due our sin. He took hell for you if you're trusting in Him. He was God and man so He could drink it on that cross. But He said, it is finished. He was us first. He came to die for our sins. To be raised for us so that we could be justified. What does that mean? Declared righteous through faith in Him. By trusting in Jesus. His record. I'm united to Him. His record is credited to me. And God declares me righteous. because, And you too if you're trusting in Jesus. Because we are. We're based on His record. We're hidden in Him. Forgiven all of our sin. 
credited all of His righteousness, made children of God as a free gift because He paid it all. He came to serve us. The Gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and He was raised the third day and it is through trusting in Him and Him alone that you are saved. He came not to serve, be served, but to serve and to give His life up for many. And He creates followers and imitators whose growing life looks more and more like Paul's motto to live is Christ and to die is gain. Life is Jesus. Death is winning. Because He has defeated death for us. But look at their attitude. Because they, by God's grace, were trusting in Jesus. They've been reconciled to God. They're viewing the world through His Word. And it says that they were one heart and one soul. And no, look at this, no one, not one, not anyone, none of Jesus' followers in the church in that day. And this is a big church. You've been, you've been reading along with us. 3,000 converted first sermon. Now the men are up to 5,000, 10,000. There are more and more people being converted. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own. Now wait, stop. Think about this. Don't get derailed by it. Think about how you think about the stuff you have. Certainly it's yours, it's private property, and, and, and their stuff technically on paper was theirs. And you see Peter telling Ananias, we'll see that next time. Was it not yours before you sold it? Was it not yours after? Why did you lie? Right? His, pro- his problem wasn't having stuff and not his problem was lying to God. But anyway. So technically you own some stuff, but in your heart, do, do, do you own them? Or are they Jesus's? Are you an owner or a steward? And is everything you have at his disposal, even your kids, that's hard, right? Even... Your life. But it, this says, and I, I'm, I'm rehearsing this because I had to keep rehearsing it and I want you to keep rehearsing it and I don't want you to leave it and in case you're drowsy or you didn't hear me, not one said that anything that belonged to them was their own, but they had everything in common. What does that mean? Everything they owned was devoted to Jesus, devoted to community care, and devoted to witness. And when Jesus called on it, how will He do that? Well, we have a surplus and we see a brother or sister in need so that He'll use us and our surplus to minister to their need. But their mindset was, none of this stuff belongs to me. My hope is not in it. My security is not in it. All that's in Jesus. He's blessed me with a lot. I'm responsible to be a good steward of it and to hold it loosely. We hold stuff tight, don't we? Especially when it's brand new. Think about having a brand new car or a brand new boat or a brand new bicycle. We hold it tight. Mine! Adults still do that. They just do it with adult language, right? But they had a stewardship mindset. They entrusted what they had to Jesus. They held it loosely. And they used it. Now here's, here's, the, here's what they did with, their, the, with the stuff that belonged to them on paper, but really is, it was Jesus's. But He allows us to use it to store up treasure in heaven. 
He allows us to use the things He entrusts to us here to store up real treasure in eternity. A lot of us are investing a lot in this life and nothing in the life to come. And our hope is to have a big nest egg so we can retire and I don't know what. The world's lying to you about the happiness that will be found there. The flesh, the devil. This will set us free. They, these people were free. They weren't in bondage. They weren't being made. To, they were free. Free of entanglement. Everything they had, everything they were was devoted to Jesus and His community. It says they held everything in common. And notice, listen, this is not communism. This is not good old Marx, buddy. This is not socialism. Nobody's making them do this. The government certainly is not taking everything and doling things out. Socialism never has worked. It never will. Because you punish the achievers and make them non-achievers and then nobody's there to give you a job and you starve to death. Nobody's there to pay taxes. Anyway, off the hobby horse. They had everything in common. Nobody's commanding them to do it. They are joyful in doing it. The Gospel created a new heart that loves God and loves neighbor more. Their treasure was not on earth anymore. Look at Matthew 6, 19-24. We'll, we'll look at this right quick. They're, they're simply, this didn't come out of the blue. They are obeying the teachings of Jesus. They're trusting Jesus, joyfully walking according to His words and His teaching. In Matthew 6, 19-24, look what Christ says. It would be a good idea if you think it's a good thing to not lay up treasures on earth. Do not lay up, do not lay up your treasures on earth. Your treasure shouldn't be on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in to steal. But lay up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys nor where thieves break in and steal. For where your And here's the point. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus needs to be what captivates your heart, not stuff. Look at this. He says the, the eye of, uh, is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And by the way, if you go back and search that out and look in prior, a healthy eye is a generous eye. According to the Bible, a healthy eye is a generous eye that sees need and runs toward it. A bad eye is a selfish eye. He says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you in darkness, how great is the darkness? Now look, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Really, it's mammon, which includes money and possessions. Money and possessions take us captive when we put them in the forefront. If they're not in subjection to Jesus at His disposal to be used for mutual good, they will take you captive. Jesus wants us to be free. And the teaching has set the church free. He's delivered them from the love of the world and the things in the world, the love of money and stuff. It's not. Listen, I'm not saying you can't have anything. He entrusts a great deal to some people. But what He entrusts to you, you're responsible to use for Him and for His kingdom wisely. Which is underneath that providing for your family, yes. 
but also having an eye outside to those around you who might need. You know, is this just fattening my account? Am I trusting in this? Am I seeing need and withholding because, you know, my 401k is not where I want it to be? Transfer some of that to your 401h, which is heaven. God will meet every need you have. This is true freedom. They had a community mindset. They were focused on loving Christ and serving Christ and loving and, and blessing and taking care of one another. That, that also part of the reason, part of this mindset was fueling the mission. Look, I'm going to do this quickly because we've talked a lot about this lately. I'll let you listen to other sermons. But the community mindset and missions, the apostles were, were supported and could go out and powerfully preach the gospel. It says in verse 33, in great power, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was on them all. They were all looking to Christ. Christ was number one. They, had, they didn't think they owned all their stuff. It was at Jesus' disposal. Now, He took care of them and they took care of their families. But some of them had some extra. And they used it in a way that glorified Him. So the, the church is doing what it's supposed to do. Listen, that takes money. It takes money for the church to do what it's supposed to do. I tried working and pastoring at the same time. And it, a lot of respect. I did it a long time. A lot of respect for those who do it. But it is impossible to do both well. The church is trusted with getting the gospel out to the nations and sending missionaries to the nations. And one of the ways it does that is people who stay behind faithfully give to support the church and its mission. To support its pastors. Shameless. You say, you never talk about giving. I know, but boy, when I do. Uh, it's in the text, right? I want you to be set free. I don't spend a lot of time talking about giving and y'all have God has used you to abundantly bless and provide and take care of this church and its mission. So in one sense, I'm preaching to the choir, but we all need reminders. And some of us are getting a bit tangled up in money and stuff. And some of the ones you get most tangled up are the ones that don't have it. Greed can really wrap itself around you if you're struggling. You've got to be careful. But the community was on mission. The apostles were out giving their testimony. And God said, it says, great grace. They deserve it. Great grace was on them all. And then look at this in verse 34 following. The community mindset, and this is where I want us to give some attention. The community mindset and mutual care. This is an amazing statement. If this doesn't blow you away, you need to read it again. There was not a needy person among them. Now that does not mean everybody in the church had everything they wanted. We're really good at turning wants into needs, aren't we? Oh, I need a new car. You might. I need a new... But their needs were met. And their needs were met because God had made them Christ-centered, community-centered people and He met their needs through one another sacrificing for one another. Look at it again. There was not a needy person among them because the government took care of them. We've let the government take over the work of the church. 
Now, that the church don't need to be supporting every bum and vagrant on the street. Jesus talks about his brothers and his sisters, and but taking care primarily of one another. There was not a needy person among them. Their needs were met. Not because the government was taking care of them. And listen, forget all the health and wealth things. Not because they were all rich. Some had more, some had less. And the ones that had more sacrificed, so the ones that had less had enough. Right? Everybody still needs to work, had to work. You know, nobody's impoverishing their family so that other people can have abundance. But they took care of one another. It says, look at what it says again. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands, plural, or houses, plural, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. In other words, they laid it at the apostles' feet, which means they're entrusting the apostles to use it well for Jesus. And the apostles took it and used it to meet, you know, a lot of things. Get the gospel out. And to meet the needs of the people around them. And you see that through Scripture when you see them taking up offerings to support various parts of the church that are struggling. So we've already seen this kind of mindset mentioned in Acts 2. It says in 2.45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The believers were giving and those who had were entrusted with more were giving so that those who had less, not lazy. Paul said, if you won't work, you shall not eat, right? But those who were in true need were helped so that there was not a needy person among them. Notice what else it doesn't say. I'm going to take a little bit of a tangent, but not much, and I'm going to get right back to it. It doesn't say for or because they all gave 10%. It doesn't say that. And you're saying, oh, oh goody, he doesn't believe we're supposed to tithe. Maybe you're not saying that. I I think the best of you. No, that's not what I'm saying. The tithe is still a valid thing. It was being practiced before the Mosaic Law, practiced after. You know what the tithe is? Tithe is beginner giving. Tithe is a starting place. God told Israel, if because they were not tithing, they were robbing him. What is a tithe, you ask? Tenth. A tenth is a starting place for our giving. Because think about this. Oh, and, and Old Testament believers didn't just give a tenth. There was more than one tithe and it accumulated more. But what we say is, okay, that word's never used in the New Testament, so it's no longer valid. Not good Bible interpretation. Alright? But what we mean by that is, oh goody, I don't have to give 10%, I can give two. You know, in the 19, I think it was in the 1960s, the most, the typical gift in a church when the plates are passed, and no, we don't do that. We trust God, trust you. The typical gift was a dollar in 1960. The most, most gifts were a dollar or two. You know what they are now when, when that's done in most of the church? A dollar or two. No, no, no even inflation on that dollar. A tithe is beginner giving. A tithe is starter faithfulness. 
they all gave to support the church. This is over and above giving. You've heard the terms tithes and offerings, right? This is over and above. And think about this. The believers in the New Testament didn't primarily think 10% of what I own is God's. They thought, everything I own is God's. I don't really own it. It's really His. It's really devoted to community. It's not a tithe sermon, but I, I'm telling you, it's, it's still valid like a lot of other things are. And it's still true that we rob God. It's, it's, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But the giving we're seeing here is over and above giving. It's, it's nothing mine, everything His, all given to me as a steward so that I can use it to store treasure in heaven and to bless my brothers and sisters around me so that there's not a needy person among them. Notice what they didn't do. Listen, legal, you know, you can get real legalistic about a tithe, and that'd be the only thing you do, and you get real proud about it, and you know, and it comes becomes mindless. It just becomes mindless, and it's just what you do, right? They didn't sell their houses or lands and give ten percent of it, and and again, it wasn't mandated. They sold this stuff and they gave it to the apostles to distribute and meet needs. Big church, lots of needs, all taken care of. And at the end of this section, we have an example. And we're going to see this guy again later, so I'm not going to talk about him much this morning. But Joseph, who was also called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him. Notice it still belonged to him. Some of the rest of y'all are doing that, and it's not doing it out loud as I'm preaching about this. But no, <laughs> I'm teasing. We love babies. A Levite of Cyprus sold a field that belonged to him, still private property, not socialism, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's an example. This is a positive example setting the stage for a really negative example, which is Ananias and Sapphira. We'll talk about next week. And their problem wasn't the amount they gave, okay? Their problem was they lied. They wanted to be thought something, but they wanted to hold some back. And so they lied and said they gave it all when they really didn't. And we see instant church discipline. But we'll, we'll look at that next week. Come back and, and we'll look at that. But Joseph is an example. And what we see, and I hope you'll go back and read and think about this, this text as I had to read and think about it this week, was a different mindset among the early church and believers about money and stuff and about what they, why they had them and what they were supposed to be for. God doesn't, has nothing against people having a lot. You see Abraham and on down through Scripture in 1 Timothy 6, he says, tell those who are rich to sell everything. He didn't say that. He said to be faithful with what they had, to be generous and not put their hope in uncertain riches. The more we have, the more it can try to be our God. Right? So it's not, not having anything. But the early church was amazingly and hilariously generous because they loved and trusted Jesus and they loved and cared for one another. Possessions and money were just a tool for supporting missions and mutual care. And God met all their needs as they walked faithfully with Him. Jesus, of course, is exhibit A of this kind of self-sacrifice and the one they were following. They renounced 
ownership of earthly goods to store up treasure in heaven. John Piper said this. I thought this was a good quote. And listen, when I quote people, that doesn't mean I agree with everything they say. I mean they got this right. Okay? So, you know, I love John Piper. A lot of things he said are very helpful and very good. I don't agree with everything he teaches. But he said this. He said, out of the freedom from worry. Now notice this. This is what we want, right? Freedom from worry. Out of the freedom from worry that God's generosity provides comes an impulse towards simplicity rather than accumulation. Out of the freedom from worry that God's generosity provides, think gospel, Jesus, primarily, comes an impulse towards simplicity rather than accumulation. What an example of the gospel transforming people's hearts. Can I mean, I'm challenged by this. I hope you are. To think this way about what God's entrusted with me. To hold it loosely. And when I see a need, I have more than this person and I can help meet that need. That needs to be my heart. Now, fundamentally underneath that, faithfully giving to God. Right? Maybe we're still working on the beginner, the starter place. Are you giving to God? You know, some people are in great financial difficulty and they can't figure out why. And they're not giving anything to God. But they want Him to help bless. Don't work that way. But the fun part is, how are our hearts? This is, you know, do we have, do you have an Americanized, self first version of Christianity? that would have been foreign to the early church? Or has the gospel produced a Christ-first, community, missions-oriented mindset that is willing to release knowing God will replace and bless and take care of every need? That is willing to trust God and give when it doesn't seem like it's going to work? Let me ask you a question. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? What do you think about, dream about, live for, want above everything else? That is your treasure. We all need to do some treasure transfer, okay? What am I passionate about? What do I think? Here, what do you think you'll be happier when you have it? It's trying to take you captive. It'll never satisfy you. It's trying to divert your attention from Jesus and keep you from storing treasure in heaven. How do you store treasure in heaven? You sacrifice and give. Sacrifice. That's what Jesus was teaching when we looked at in Matthew chapter 6. Storing treasure in heaven. Not living for money. Giving. Being generous. Are your possessions yours? Do you think of your possessions as yours? Now, obviously, on paper you own them, but do you think of them as yours? Do you think of your house as yours or Jesus's? Your spouse as yours or Jesus's? Your children, I'm going to hurt you. Your grandchildren as yours or Jesus's? Your, your money, your bank account, is it yours or is it Jesus's? Now, certainly, He commands you to take care of your family with what He's entrusted to you. But not to look to it for happiness. Not to trust in it. Not to be unwilling to share it. 
What do you think about, dream about, think you'll be happy when you have? What are you living for? That's your treasure. And if a good thing has become a God thing, we need to repent of that and get Jesus back on the throne and everything else in subservience to Him and subservience to community and supporting the mission of the gospel going around the world. Again, nothing wrong with God blessing you with a lot of things. We need you. (laughs) But when we get a grip on it and we find our security in it and we won't let it go, That's why Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything he had. Because he hadn't even kept the first commandment. He had another God. He was trusting in, finding his joy in, his happiness in his stuff. It had him captive so that he couldn't love and serve and follow Jesus. And I'm convinced he repented of that. How about this? Uh, Number two. The practice of your giving. How is your giving? Listen, I know this hurts. And I know we don't like to talk about it. I know a lot of fools on TV make, make a bad name for, for giving. And I mean, even one, I saw a video this week of, I'll say his name, Jesse Duplantis. Do not listen to people like that. Was convinced that the church ought to give him $52 million so he can have a jet to fly around the world. He don't have to refuel I won't be sitting in that man's shoes when he leaves here. People built the church. And they're crooks out there. And he's one of them. Preflo Dollar, Kenneth. I don't mind mentioning these people. Don't listen to them. They want your money. They'll tell you God will bless you if you'll give them something. We need to give them something. How's your giving? Have you made it to beginner? <laughs> You're not more righteous if you give 10%, but I mean, are you trusting God so that you can give to Him and know that He will meet your needs? Is it less? Here's the answer. Not legalism. Legalism will take you captive. Review the Gospel. Review who Jesus is and who He is for you and how He sacrificed for you. If He'll go to that cross for you, will He provide everything you need? Uh-huh. He will. And your giving should always stretch you a little bit. You get comfortable with what you're giving so that it's kind of mindless. Again, this is convicting. Join me. But look at Jesus and His self-sacrifice. Trust Him and honor Him according to His Word. Love sacrifices for the gospel mission. Love sacrifices for other needs, others' needs, and therefore love stores treasure in in heaven. In your 401h, how's that doing? How's your 401h doing? Investing in heaven at all? Everything for here. How about the witness of giving? Notice how God was bragging on His church in this word. And notice what Jesus said in 13, John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now look at this. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. They will see you sacrificing for one another and helping one another when you're in need. And they will go, Wow! You know you could have had a new boat for that? Uh-huh. Didn't want a new boat. Don't even need the one I have. So-and-so was struggling. 
They needed that. They will know that we're His disciples if we have love for one another. Love, biblically, self-sacrifice for another. Not primarily feelings. Feelings, no. We have feelings, but it's self-sacrifice for one another. And it glorifies Jesus and it makes people amazed when we follow Him. Some will hate it, but others will be impacted. And at the judgment, it will all be shown to be true and right. Here are a few reasons why we don't give, and I'm just to a large part confessing my own sins, see if you can enter into them. Um, I know I struggled way back with this especially. But the first one is trust. We don't trust God. We trust our account. And if we add everything up and it seems like we can't do it, we say, I'm sorry God, I can't afford to do it. Did you say that about getting married, having kids, buying that house or... See, we don't trust God. We don't think. We look at, instead of looking with faith, knowing He will meet our needs, we just look at stuff. We're only looking at our resources instead of God's commands and promises. Listen, if God commands it and if He makes promises, He will keep them. He will stretch you in the process, and it might be painful, but He will keep them and He promises to meet every need that you have. And then the second one is trust and then treasure. We are really good at locating our treasure here and sacrificing here for things we think will make us happy here. We hope for, we wait for, we work for, we fantasize about. We're trying to have it, listen, we're trying to have it easy here. Who told you Jesus wanted you to have it easy here? Creflo. Huh? Creflo. Creflo, yeah. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome it for you. Some of you, he's going to entrust with a lot. Try real hard not to be comfortable with it. And identified by it and hoping in it. But be faithful with it to share. Some of you, he's going to entrust with you very little so that you walk day by day. Give me this day, our day, my daily bread, and you get to watch him do it. And there's a place, there's a lot of blessing there because you get to see God's hand move in a way that others don't. And a lot of us are in the middle. All of us have more than we need. I'm pretty confident of that. So if we can locate our treasure in heaven and, and start investing, we will be more healthy spiritually. We will have more joy. We'll be more useful. We'll see the gospel going forth more strongly. Listen, so trust, treasure inhibits us. Legalism and guilt, I've already said it. Legalism, which is, uses guilt as a motivator. That's why I told you to go back to the gospel. Grace needs to be a motivator. Because if guilt's a motivator, you'll just, you'll just go to a certain point and be happy with that and maybe get proud or get mindless about your giving. But guilt actually stifles giving. Think, of, think if these people were just locked into one, one amount. They would have sold their stuff and given 10% and been proud of it. And, but they didn't do that. They, they didn't say, you know, everything belongs to me except 
I've told you before, I still believe that's valid. That's a heart test, but it's a beginner place. They, they gave everything. They sold. They had the ones he were talking about here who had houses, plural, lands, plural, sold them. But that doesn't mean other people with smaller amounts didn't do the similar thing. Because remember, they all thought that they had they owned nothing, everything was in common. Legalism will produce a religious giver, but never a cheerful giver. Only the gospel and grace can do that. Maybe you're lost and you don't really love Jesus. I hope you understand this. If that's your stance, I don't want your money. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. He wants you to repent and trust Jesus. And you can't buy your way into heaven. It's a love gift in response to what Christ has done. And what you need is the same thing some of us who are struggling need is the gospel that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised from the grave. And our faith is to be in Him. Our hope is to be in Him. Our love, our meaning, our purpose, our all is to be found in Christ. And then last, some of you may be in true, desperate, hardship, need, and I'm nothing. May have lost your job or lost a spouse or you know health issues came up and just depleted everything you're the one we're supposed to be helping but no matter how desperate your situation it doesn't mean you don't give think of the widow's might Jesus watching them drop their gifts into the temple into the depository and he said that the, the widow gave the most because she think of two pennies right or maybe one penny if you add them together But he said she gave the most because she gave everything she had to live on. The others were just giving out of their abundance. But if you're in desperate need, true need, we want to know about it. If it's because you're being lazy, we're going to help you with that. But life just racks us up sometimes. And pride will keep us from the help that we really need and could have. If we won't tell people we're struggling. Some of you won't tell us when you're struggling. We can't read your mind. I found out people were in the hospital on Facebook before. Huh? Come on. It's hard enough to pastor. I don't even like Facebook. Communicate your needs. One lesson we learn, you know, if you'll tell God's people, they'll do something about it. And if you're being lazy, they'll do something about that too. (laughs) But most of us are not. Jesus enabled the early church to generously respond to true need, to grow in the process and to have all of their heart tied up in Him. It was their joy because Jesus had the first place. And I pray that He so works in my heart and in your hearts that we are in the same place. May He work this freedom in us so that we love and trust Him with everything we are and everything we have. And that we love one another sacrificially and that we support the gospel going to the nations sacrificially. I want to end with Luke he doesn't have this one either. I'm going to read this to you. Luke 18, 29 to 30. And I'm done. Jesus promised to those who had left all and sacrificed for Him to meet overabundantly 
their need to replace what they had given and to cash it in in the currency of eternal life. They're not saved by our giving, but he works giving into the hearts of those he saves. He said this when the apostles had said, we left homes and all this and followed you. He said in verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, some of us can't imagine this, who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your gospel would be such a treasure to us. Christ, that you would be such a treasure to us that we would be one heart and one soul seeing everything we are and have as given to us by you as a stewardship that is to be used for you and for your glory to love you and minister to you and take your gospel around the world. No, we don't need a jet to do that. And to love and support one another and to, and to be light and salt to the nations. Help us to give hilariously because of your gift of yourself to us. Without you, we would be lost eternally. But you came to be born in a humble condition and to be humiliated from, from the cradle to the cross for us. You kept your own law in thought, word, and deed. Glorify the Father and provide a perfect righteousness for us. You died to pay the penalty for our sins. And you rose the third day proving it's all true. Lord, those who are not trusting you, give them faith to look away from themselves to you, to turn from their sin and to trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Those of us who know you, Lord, set us free. Set us free from the temptations around us, from the world and its promises, from finding our joy in money and stuff to finding our joy in you because of your love for us. Set us free from that which is entangling us. Help us to be joyful, hilarious givers of ourselves first and then of the time and the talents and the resources that you've entrusted to us. And Lord, I, I thank you for this people and I thank you for the people of Grace Church and the, the generosity that I see here and the faithfulness that has provided for us every step of the way. I thank you for that and I pray for you, bless them. And Lord, but I also know that we, we are never in a place where we don't need growth. So I thank you for using this text to challenge us this morning. May it place our eyes on you, Lord Jesus. And your great sacrifice for us. And therefore flowing out of your grace. May our, not just our lips, but our lives declare. That for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. We give you praise. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen.